This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 21st, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. We should be careful when we want to improve upon Madison's constitution. That from William F. Connolly, author of the new book, James Madison Rules America. We spoke following a forum for the book held last week. Our biggest problem uh, may be in part our tendency to misunderstand the Constitution. Um, I argue in the book James Madison Rules America um, that Madison literally governs America, the Constitution governs. Uh, And I also think that oftentimes uh, we as citizens and politicians uh, fail to understand or appreciate the notion that the Constitution continues to uh, govern us. This is in part an effort, uh, in part because of efforts on the part of Woodrow Wilson and other progressive thinkers, Herbert Crowley, to uh, rip our political system uh, from its roots in the Constitution. Uh, and Wilson certainly, Woodrow Wilson certainly, and the progressives sought to eclipse uh, the Constitution. So I purposely use in the book the dramatic title, James Madison Rules America, to underscore the point that um, our politics today today still is seriously grounded in the Constitution, um, and whether we appreciate or understand that or not, uh, has actually practical consequences, and we should uh, uh, appreciate it or understand the way which it has very real, very palpable, practical consequences. Um, uh, obviously, James Madison is dead. Um, uh, he doesn't rule in that sense. Um, But the Constitution governs, uh, uh, in the most immediate sense, uh, uh, as we were discussing in the panel earlier today, that um, neither the Democrats nor the Republicans, neither the President nor the Congress uh, governs. Um, uh, Both parties at all time are only part of the system. Lloyd Cutler, um, a neo-Wilsonian, Jimmy Carter's White House counsel, wrote an essay in Foreign Affairs magazine back in 1979 titled To Form a Government, in which he gave us the sort of traditional Wilsonian lament uh, that unlike the British system, where one party, the majority party, is clearly the government and the minority party is clearly the loyal opposition, uh, Cutler said, and, and this argument is taken from Woodrow Wilson, that in our political system we never form a government. Neither party is ever simply the government or simply the opposition. Uh, Now, that's a criticism on the part of Neil Wilsonians or Woodrow Wilson himself of our political system, but I saw it as a virtue or as a strength. Um, Neither party ever is simply the government. Right now, the Democrats uh, control the White House, the House, and the Senate, although it's questionable whether they control the Senate or whether the Senate controls them. They have a majority in the the Senate and the House, and they certainly control the White House. Um, But are the Democrats the government? No. Uh, We never refer, for example, to the party in the White House as the government. We refer to them as the administration. Um, Are the Republicans simply the opposition? No, especially not in the Senate. The Senate, you know, while the House is clearly a majoritarian institution and Nancy Pelosi and the majority party are pretty clearly in control in the House, um, it isn't the case in the Senate. Uh, The Senate arguably is a minoritarian institution. It clearly empowers minority, you know, the minority party and even individual senators. Uh, and so the majority party is not clearly in control. The, mi- the minority party clearly has leverage. Um, and Republicans, uh, as the minority party today, are have leverage and are part of the government, just as, as uh, Democrats, as the majority party in the House and Senate and controlling the White House, are part of the government. So we have this 
we're constantly confronted with this uh, constitutional conundrum, and Madison intended this. Um, whether, uh, and, remember, and, and this plays out in practical ways within the two political parties uh, in the two chambers. Um, each party is constantly faced with the question, are we part of the government or are we part of the opposition? Should we play the politics of compromise or the politics of confrontation? Should we be bipartisan or should we be partisan? And the two parties in the two chambers are uh, rife with factionalism fighting over that conundrum. And it's a conundrum in the sense that there is no correct answer to that question. I think Madison intended that. Neither party by itself is the government. Um, it's a constant conundrum and an answerable question, and it keeps the two parties uh, in check. But it doesn't just check and balance. It also empowers. Our constitutional system is designed both to um, humble and empower presidents and Congress, Democrats and Republicans, depending as needed. Empowerment, though, seems most often to come in the form of stopping somebody else who wants to uh, gain some sort of edge. That is the various overlapping authorities that exist within the Constitution among the three branches of government, uh, everybody sort of checking each other. It seems like that's, that seems to be the most empowering part of, of what Madison wrote. The separation, yes. The, yes, except that the separation of powers is more than merely the checks and balances. It's very clear, as you say, that the uh, separation of powers empowers the minority party to uh, thwart uh, the effort of uh, uh, overweening majorities, to tyrannize uh, uh, as necessary. So the, in that sense, the checks and balances work. But the system also is designed to empower people to accomplish certain things. You know, Ronald Reagan was able to come into office and uh, put together uh, a bit of a uh, economic or tax uh, revolution. Uh, likewise, George W. Bush, uh, when he came into office. So it does, in fact, empower, um, again, presidents and Congress, the majority and the minority party, depending on uh, the circumstances. Um, the separation of powers is not simply designed to limit the abuse of power. It's also designed to provide for the effect, effective use of power. And I'll give you a quick example of that. Um, someone asked earlier about um, the, uh, you know, about uh, Abraham Lincoln. Um, we have in our constitutional system a very strong executive and a very strong Congress. Uh, and at times, they push back and forth uh, one another. Uh, when we need a strong executive and the ability to act, say, 9-11 or maybe the Civil War, for example, with the example of Lincoln, we have the capacity to do that. We have a strong executive when we need it. But we also have a strong Congress willing and, and able to push back against an overweening executive and to humble that executive as uh, needed. Putting the shoe on the other foot, um, Congress as an institution is, is, while the executive is good at acting, Congress as an institution is good at talking. We have both the capacity to act and the capacity to talk built into our system. Um, you know, we can move effectively with executive action when necessary. We can move slowly and deliberately uh, and talk and talk and talk um, um, when, uh, when necessary. When we need strong, effective executive authority, we have it, the Civil War being a prime example. But no sooner did the Civil War end than Congress spent decades pushing back against an overweening executive. Well, likewise, uh, the imperial presidency of the 1960s and the 1970s, you know, we've been pushing back against that uh, um, ever since. And, you know, 9-11 occurs and we suddenly need a strong, effective executive out front. Uh, and Congress actually defers to that executive and grants enormous power to the executive with uh, the Patriot Act, etc. But then we immediately begin to question that, that maybe we're infringing on, you know, 
civil liberties uh, with something like this, uh, the uh, Patriot Act, and Congress begins to push back against, including a Republican Congress against a Republican president, begins to push back against uh, that the, the, the potential of an overweening uh, executive. Or again, to use the example of Congress, Congress too can be overweening. Uh, you can have an imperial Congress, just as you can conceivably have an imperial um, uh, executive. Uh, and uh, Congress can be beastly. And Madison and Hamilton and the Federalists created the president in part to tame the beast. There is a narrative. In shorthand, it comes in the form of Congress is broken. Let's make Congress work again. Uh, and typically that refers to someone's agenda, the president often uh, not being able to get his program through uh, through Congress. And does that affect one party or the other or more? I do not think that Congress is the broken branch. I do not think the constitutional system uh, is broken. Um, part of that argument is often uh, the argument that our system is gridlocked, but uh, you'd be hard-pressed to look back over what Congress and the president, Democratic Congress and Democratic president, uh, accomplished in terms of sweeping uh, historic legislation over the last year and say that the system is gridlocked. Uh, uh, whether you agree or disagree with the legislation, the fact is this current Congress has been remarkably productive. Um, uh, so I don't think you can say that the system is uh, gridlocked. Uh, the, the suggestion is almost absurd on its face. Um, uh, I think that the, the system is, in fact, designed uh, to limit the abuse of power uh, and again, as I said, to provide for the effective use of power. Um, it's pretty clear the Democrats most recently have overreached, and now you're seeing the reaction set in, uh, and uh, the Democrat Democrats will not be able to overreach following the November election. Uh, you're likely to have a Republican majority in the House, possibly in the Senate, but you at least have a much humbled Democratic majority in the Senate. You don't really govern the Senate if you have 53, 52 seats. Um, so the Democrats will not be able to continue that long march toward uh, uh, empowering the government as they have over the last uh, year or two. During the Bush years, and especially leading up to the war in Iraq, uh, it appeared that Congress had punted on the war power. Would you say that, is, you say that that's true? I think that the Constitution provides uh, for both a strong Hamiltonian executive, but as I said, as well as a uh, strong Congress. Um, I think at various times in our history, uh, executives have in fact overreached. Um, and we can debate you know, when those t times are, but you may remember our most successful presidents are typically those who use the executive power to its fullest. Abraham Lincoln was called a constitutional dictator. You know, maybe we needed an especially strong executive during the biggest crisis in our uh, particular uh, history. Um, the charge of an imperial presidency was leveled at Johnson, it was leveled at Nixon, uh, leveled at Reagan, leveled now at uh, George W. Bush, um, uh, including by people like Barack Obama, although Barack Obama now is acting in many ways like George W. Bush and attempting to uh, accumulate power in the executive vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the legislature. I think um, that uh, with 9-11 uh, and uh, with, for example, the Patriot Act, you did see Congress uh, being uh, 
fairly deferential, perhaps too deferential to the executive. But you almost immediately began to see set in uh, a sort of response to that and a willingness to begin to push back. Um, I think we constantly in our separation of powers system have the potential for an imperial president and an imperial congress. Um, And I think that tension is a healthy tension and it constantly informs our politics, which is frequently about separation of powers battles. And if it's not about separation of powers battles, it's about... uh, national power versus state power, federalism questions. On federalism, it was once viewed that the indirect selection of senators was the necessary and sufficient condition for securing federalism. And since the, that is to say, those parts of the Constitution that pit the federal against state governments were going to be more hotly debated than they are today, so Commerce Clause being a, a key example of that. Uh, what do you think? Well, I'm a Madisonian, so I'm opposed to amending Madison's Constitution. Um, I'm not in favor of either the 17th Amendment, direct election of senators. I do think it tipped the balance in favor of the uh, national government. I'm also opposed to the 22nd Amendment, the two-term amendment for presidents. Uh, I think that uh, it, had, it has had contradictory uh, contradictory effects on the power of the executive and the power of the legislature. Um, So I I think that we always need to be very careful second-guessing Madison and his constitution because one of the reasons it's worth paying attention to the uh, the founding debate between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists over ratification of the constitution was they were dealing with first principles. They really thought thought things through uh, to the ground floor, if you will, in a way in which we typically don't today. Uh, And so I I tend to recommend that we Uh, think twice and three times before we second-guess Madison. William F. Connolly is author of the book James Madison Rules America. We spoke following a forum for the book last week. You can watch or listen to the forum at cato.org.